Welcome to another segment of Through My Eyes. I'm Ralph Renzulli, and I'm very honored to have with me today Ed Prostatic. Ed is a veteran of the U.S. Navy and served aboard the Carrier Enterprise during the Vietnam War. Ed, thanks for taking the time, and thank you for your service. You're welcome. So, Ed, if I understand it correctly, you graduated high school in 65. Yes. And you entered service in 68. Right. Just tell me a little bit about what you were doing prior to your entering the Navy. Okay, um, after graduation from high school, which was right over here in Benton Hall, um, I went to Canton College uh, for a couple of years uh, for construction technology. Um, and uh, after, after college, I did not uh, leave there with a degree, but uh, I was there for the two full years. Uh, but um, uh, I worked uh, for uh, that summer after school. I worked uh, at uh, bicycle, Snyder's bicycle uh, plant here in Little Falls, and then uh, in the, after the summer, around September, I got a job uh, with an architectural firm in Utica. It was Egbert Bag Associates, um, and uh, I worked there for a better part of a year, and then I I got the letter, uh, greetings from the government saying uh, they wanted me to uh, uh, take a physical for, uh, you know, for the Army. So I, I, I went on the day uh, to Syracuse to, to take the physical and uh, I, uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't know anybody at that time who wanted to go to Vietnam. Uh, when I got there for the physical, they would say, if you think you have flat feet, get in this line over here and a line would immediately form. If you think you have an ulcer, get in this line over here and a line would form. If you think you have uh, heel spurs, maybe, you know, get in this line. And uh, uh, so um, at the end of the day, a bunch of us were in a room and they said, uh, okay, guys, uh, you all pass the physical and you'll, in 30 days you'll be getting an induction into the Army. Okay. So I decided, well, I don't want to go to the Army, so I said, well, the Navy, they need people in the Navy, too, so I joined the Navy. So why the Navy over, say, the Air Force? What, was there something particular about the Navy that you had interest in? Well, travel. I knew I, I, knew I would travel. Yeah. And um, I knew before it came to worse, I'm a pretty good swimmer. And, uh, you know, I had taught swimming and life-saving at Boy Scout camp, and I figured well, that would be a plus. So, uh, yeah, travel. Mostly, okay. you know, so and and I wouldn't end up in a rice paddy or a jungle or someplace. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay, so that was a that was your own personal decision. Yeah. Where were you actually sworn in? Syracuse or where was that? Uh, sworn in. Do you recall? I th I think that day. I think that. No. Okay. No. Well, I'm not sure if I was sworn okay. in that day or later. All right. So. Your initial training in the Navy, where, where was that? That was at uh, Great Lakes, Illinois. Okay. Tell me, give me an idea of what that was like. Uh, I think we had 80-something guys in our company, and uh, <clears throat> we did a lot of marching. Uh, the Navy is big on discipline and, and uh, cleanliness. Cleanliness, of course, because close quarters on a ship, you want the guy next to you to be clean. Sure. Um, so they stressed that. Um, uh, the marching, they would, in between all these big barracks buildings, they would have a large um, 
uh, blacktop area. I would say it was maybe the size of three or four football fields, and it was uh, called the Grinder. And the companies would go out there and march. And this is August, July and August. It's hot. Uh, we would march every place. We would march uh, to classes, uh, trying to stay awake uh, while they're teaching us how to tie knots. Uh, we would march to lunch. And when you were done with lunch, you were supposed to run back to your barracks and salute anybody who you thought might be an officer. And if you're running by an officer from behind, you say, uh, by your leave, sir, and you run back to your barracks. Uh, they taught um, uh, fire safety, uh, how, to use, how to use the hoses uh, uh, in case there's a fire on board ship, because at the time we were told more ships are sunk by fire than by the enemy. Uh, it's, oh, you know, it's a dangerous thing on a ship. You have no place to go. And you right. don't call the fire department. Right. So uh, Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit later. So fire um, training, tying knots, uh, some first aid, um, and swimming. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I Obviously. can tell you a little thing here, the, the day we went to the pool, they, they, they wanted to teach us about inflating, like tying, if you, if you go in the water with your clothes on, you want to take your pants off, tie the bottoms in knots, and so and inflate your pants with air so that you can float. I knew all that from teaching it at scout game. And uh, so we were at the point, all standing on the edge of the pool, had our pants tied in knots at the bottom, and the company commander was walking behind us saying something, and I don't know if he thought I wasn't paying attention or what, but he, when he got behind me, he pushed me into the pool. <laughs> but I had sense enough to quickly put the pants up over my head. Oh. Come, I came down and they were fully inflated. and. Uh, he was, I think it was surprised. He was just like, yeah, like that. Do it like that. <laughs> you know, so. I remember you from the Boy Scouts. Uh -huh. I was in the Boy Scouts. Yeah. This was Troop we were 13. We were Troop 13 together. Yeah. Exactly. So let's talk about your MOS for, for a moment. When is that, when is your, your MOS actually determined? Do, do they, do, did you take a test for that? Or was that determined after your training, your specialty in the Navy, what you were assigned to do? Um... I don't remember taking any particular test. Okay. Um, maybe they looked at your high school record or your college okay. record or your, you know what you might be good at. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't think we took any sort of aptitude test. Okay, so after training, after that initial training at uh, Great Lakes Naval Station, what happened after that? Well, uh, I remember about maybe the second day or so from the from the end at boot camp, um, they handed they hand us all our our orders of what we were, where we were going, what we were going to be doing. So at the bottom, it said, uh, on mine, it said, uh, uh, it said uh, VA-215, Lamore, NAS, C-A-L-A-F. So I didn't know uh, what VA meant. I didn't know what NAS meant. I didn't know what a Lamore was. But at C-A-L-I-F, I said, I'm going to California. So I was kind of excited about that. and. Um, Turns out VA in, in Navy language means attack squadron. It was attack squadron 215. NAS is Naval Air Station. Lemoore is the name of the town that's nearby. So uh, Naval Air, uh, VA 215, Naval Air Station, Lemoore, California. Okay, so that means you are an airman. Yes. Okay. And you were assigned to, I assume you were assigned to an air wing. Do you remember the name of the wing? Well, the, the VA-215. Oh, that's VA-215. That's the VA-215. Right, okay. right. Okay, so so you're at Lemoore now. Mm -hmm. Lemoore Naval Station, California. Mm -hmm. 
what happened there? Was there more training? Yeah, the first thing they, that we would go to classes every day and learn about uh, the A7 Corsair jet, which is a okay. single engine, single pilot, subsonic uh, bomber that uh, takes off from and lands back onto okay. aircraft carriers. And, and by the way, we're in uh, 1968 now, right? Toward the end of 68? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Can go ahead with that. What else did oh, you well, they just taught us all about the uh, the plane, you know, and then uh, at the base, and they had the classrooms and the barracks and the enlisted man's club and the, um, they had a library and a store and a, a cafeteria, a uh, mess hall. And, um, and then seven miles down the road was the, the air base where the hangars were and everything. So mm -hmm. every day you would, after we got done with the training, we'd get up in the morning, catch this shuttle and, and go down to the uh, to the where the, to the hangars and then we would um, uh, learn about uh, um, the actual hands-on you would you know uh, when a plane came in uh, you know you would you would go out direct you know have the pilot bring it into where you know and then don't stop and you'd, uh, take the chains and uh, hook them to the they had these things in the ground hook the chains tie the tighten them up so they didn't roll away or anything you know right. And then you would, uh, well, you would do a daily inspection uh, in the morning on the plane. You would do a pre-flight inspection and a post-flight inspection, uh, making sure certain buttons were the way they were supposed to be. You would make sure that uh, uh, there was no hydraulic leaks, oil leaks, anything like that. Is there a specific uh, name for what you were doing? I think you told well, me. Well, it was called the plane captain. Plane captain. Yeah. I read something interesting about plane captains. And uh -huh. It said that. It's the plane captain who actually owns the plane, and the pilot just borrows it for a few <laughs> hours. It, 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 well, how do you feel about this? You think, is that accurate? I mean, it's a, it's a sort of a yeah. I mean, it's uh, we're with the plane more than him. Well, that's what I'm getting you know, at. Yeah, yeah. You and he placed his total faith and trust in, in people yeah, like you yeah, that yeah. that plane was airworthy yeah. when he had to get up there and, and do what he had to do. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. and you, you know. On the flight deck, all these people running around taking care of the planes and launching planes. I think the average age is about 19 or 20 years old. You're talking about million-dollar airplanes and a very important, dangerous job, and it's all young young guys doing this, you know. Um, so yeah, you would, and then and then if you had to move the plane, see the in the A7 Corsair, um, there when you get in the plane, there are rudders. There's there's two pedals down there. When the plane is in the air, those are the rudders, mm -hmm. turning the plane. Uh, when the plane is on the ground, uh, they become the brakes. Oh, okay. And uh, so if that plane has to be moved from one place to another, you know, they come up to, with, a, with, a, with a, a vehicle to move it, and they have a, a bar that hooks from that vehicle to the plane, and they pull it here and they back it in over there, wherever. Um, but there has to be somebody in that plane, just in case, say, the rod broke or something, and you want to hit those brakes. You know, to keep that plane from rolling, which is especially important on a ship, because you can roll right off the ships. You know, so um, those brakes uh, depend on the hydraulic pressure, and you have to go down underneath the uh, the left wheel well of the plane, and there's a th a, a little um, thing get pumped up. You would take we were supplied with one tool that was a Phillips head screwdriver, and we would, that would take <laughs> you could take that plane apart with that, I think. And uh, you would put it into that, and you'd pump that up maybe 20 times to get the okay. the pressure good. Yeah. So that, and then maybe every if you were in that plane, like on a ship, they decide to move you again later. You okay. you'd want to go down later and pump it up again, yeah. 
Um, and and uh, and also while sitting in that plane, there's what they call the head knocker. Uh, when the pilot gets in, he puts this flap up behind his helmet. Now the ejection is loaded and ready to go. Okay. In case he should need the to eject. Seat. Right. So last thing he does is he puts that down. When you get in, you have this uncomfortable head knocker behind your head. Uh, so you actually had to get in these planes and move them. Oh yeah, when yeah, I didn't move them. I sat in there while somebody. That's right. That's where I'm going. And then when they got in the to where yeah, where they got to where it was going, I'd get out, help tie it down, get back up in there, and wait. Especially on the ship, you would wait because if you could imagine an aircraft carrier, 1,100 feet long, with maybe around 100 planes on it, some down in the in the in the in the hangar deck, and some on the flight deck. They have to move them around all the time. They have right. to, because we would launch planes every 90 minutes, starting in the early morning, going till after, way after dark at night. Um, okay. So after the first launch, 90 minutes later, they'd launch another maybe 12, 14, 15 planes. And as soon as they were launched, the first ones of the day would come back and recover. So it was always a launch and a recovery, a launch and a recovery, moving planes around all the time, yeah. and then at the end of the day, moving them around for the, for the morning, okay. which took hours sometimes. Okay. You have to bring some up from the hangar deck, whatever, right. and uh, you we'll, sit there we'll get for into a long time falling detail. asleep there. What's that? Yeah, we'll get into that in a little more detail right. later, but I, I want to get back to the training just briefly. So that your basic training, basic seamanship and all that was done at uh, Great Lakes. Mm. The technical aspect of your training was actually done in Lamar. In Lamar. That's where you really learned to be a plane captain. Right. So when were you actually assigned, or when did you find out you were going to be uh, assigned, your air wing was going on the Enterprise, when did you find that out? When did I find that out? Um, it must have been, a, I don't know, maybe a couple of months ahead of time. I'm really okay. not sure when we found out. Okay. So we that would be late 1968? Uh, yes. Okay. So you go from Lemoore, you go to the Enterprise. Is that is that the right progression of events? Yeah. Okay. So my understanding is that the Enterprise was like over 20, 1,200 feet long and something I think like, it was 1104 actually. 1104? I think, I think 1100. It's a huge ship. What did you think when you first walk up to this vessel and you saw I'm going to live on this thing for three or four months or whatever? I think I was thinking there's a lot of guys on the ship. <laughs> it was, well, how you many know, are there? How many are there? Well, um, I remember the captain at the end of the cruise coming on the loudspeaker saying there was that uh, we began this cruise with 5,300 men and we're coming back with 5,800 men. Now, guys are always coming and going. Maybe somebody gets out, gets discharged, okay. maybe gets replaced or whatever. People okay. are always coming and going. What's the difference between what's known as ship's company and the air wing? What, what? The ship's company are assigned to that ship. They they run the ship, okay. dropping the anchor, setting the court, whatever. I, I know bosun's mates and, and stuff like that. They they. Uh, they take care of the ship, and uh, like uh, they had what they have, they had what they call uh, underway replenishment, unrep. Uh, that's that's where another ship with supplies pulls up alongside you, and crews together, and they throw lines back and forth, and they bring on uh, uh, whether it's food, whether it's bombs, whatever they bring them on the ship. So they do that, okay. and the air wing just takes care of the planes. Okay, so ship's company, they're permanent. Permanently assigned to the ship. Right. Air wings come and go. My is that right? Permanent assignment was Lamar, California. Actually. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you set sail for Vietnam early January. 
1969. I believe it was January 2nd, the day after New Year's. Okay. Um, and uh, I, uh, you know, I remember uh, we were in San Francisco Bay at uh, Alameda, is, mm -hmm. is the port there. Um, there was a, just a spattering of people on the dock, maybe a dozen people or something like that. Uh, it was probably six o'clock in the morning. It was still um, kind of dark. It was uh, 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 damp, cold, foggy. And uh, we pulled away from the dock and, and uh, a few people waving, you know, and we, and we went under, I believe we went under the Oakland Bridge first and then the, the Golden Gate Bridge and then across the ocean uh, to uh, Hawaii right. first. But you're on your way to Vietnam. You knew that at that time, right? That, that's oh, yeah. where you were headed. So what did that feel like knowing that I'm leaving the country and I'm on my way to Vietnam? And I'm 20, how old were you, 21 at that time? I turned 21 in boot camp. Yeah, I, okay. I, I remember. And that was the day we got our IDs. Uh, <laughs> I went through the line and they took my picture and they stamped it. And the girl looks up and she goes, oh, happy birthday. <laughs> that was my birthday, my 21st birthday. Interesting. So you're a young guy and you're off to Vietnam. Yeah. It's, it's, I remember what I was like at 21 and I don't know that I could have done it. I give you a lot of credit. So let's talk about, let's talk about uh, you're on your way to Vietnam and something happens about uh, within two weeks yeah. of leaving San Francisco. Can you talk about that? Yeah. That incident? Yeah. Um, let me tell you first, I, I, wasn't, a, I wasn't doing plane captaining yet. Um, I was um, uh, but doing compartment cleaning, which is like, well, you know, you know when you're the paper mill, you started out as a spare man. I was like a spare man. I was I was okay. compa I was compartment cleaning, you know, uh, mopping floors and stuff at the time, and I hadn't gotten assigned up to the plane yeah. captain yet. Yeah. Everybody like takes their turn at that first, and and um, so yeah, it was almost twenty after eight in the morning. Uh, uh, we were we were uh, I guess about fifty miles off the coast of uh, Oahu, and. Um, <clears throat> I heard an explosion. I mean, there was a big explosion, and well, let me, let me say first that we were there in Hawaii for a while because the pilots were doing what they call carrier qualifications, uh, taking off and landing on the ship because uh, a lot of them had only landed on on an airstrip before, okay. you know. So, and then they got bombs that they're dropping onto targets out in the ocean. So they're doing that and then relanding on the ship. So they had live ordnance underneath the, the wings of the ship, of the, of the planes. So I hear an explosion about 20 after eight in the morning. And I mean, the lights shook, things were falling, you know. Um, and then you hear this shrill voice over the loudspeaker, general quarters, general quarters, this is not a drill, this is not a drill. And I, I, I met up with some other guys in the compartment, and I said, what the heck, you know, what's going on? And then another explosion, uh, lights are falling, and, because and, uh, I'm, I'm about two-thirds of the way back on the ship. The fire happened on the back of the ship. I'm about two-thirds of the way back, and uh, I'm one, my ceiling is the flight deck. I'm right below the flight deck. And I, I thought at first, I thought the Russians were bombing us. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. And, um, so I think there were, I think something like seven 500-pound bombs that went off and 1,000-pound bomb that went off. 
foolishly, I'm sitting there thinking, if a bomb goes off up here, I think explosions go up. It shouldn't. <laughs> that should be all right here. Um, and then they're carrying. I know they carried a guy by in the in the the, 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 the hallway outside of the compartment I was in that I had his leg blown off. Um, there, there was. Uh, well, you're supposed to stay where you are. The, the people on the flight deck were taking care of the fire. Everybody else in general corps you're supposed to stay where you are unless you need it. Um, and they were closing off compartments. A lot of guys in the, underneath the ship were getting, they, they closed the, the hatches so that the ship doesn't sink. Um, we, uh, uh, it, took, it took them three hours uh, to, uh, to put the, the fire out. Um, there was a, a, a destroyer escort that, that pulled up alongside of us. They were using their hoses, trying to get their hoses to reach up to help put out the fires. Of course, it's, it's about 90 feet from the water to the flight deck, so it's, it's quite a ways for the water, water to reach, right. you know. <clears throat> um, when it was all over, uh, you know, 30 men, uh, we found out later, 30 men had, had died. Uh, I think there was one or two that they never found. Um, we had taken a lot of training about firefighting on a ship because in boot camp they always brought up the Forrestal fire which had happened like a year and a half before that. Um, that's when the John McCain was on where a, a rocket fired across the deck and hit the plane that he was in. They lost like 300 people. We lost 30 and I think two or 300 wounded. Um, planes were mangled. The deck and when I went up on, on the deck later um, the deck is an inch and a half of steel, and the holes that were blasted, the, 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 the steel was curled under like it was tinfoil. It was curled, the steel, you know, a blast, you know, the, the, the power of that bomb was un unbelievable, of those bombs. Um, so um, we pulled in, uh, we, 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 we pulled back into Hawaii. Now, when we got to we're pulling into Pearl Harbor, there was helicopters going overhead and there were cameras, there was Newsweek and, and CBS News and everybody was there, you know, uh, made the cover of different magazines and, you know, the big story of the week, whatever. Um, um, and um, quiet. Uh, they, 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 they tried to get back to some stability on the on the ship. They they served dinner that night. The mess hall had food, but there's always a lot of racket on the ship. People talking, joking, laughing. You know, you could hear a pin drop. Everybody was in shock. Very solemn. Yeah, we, we, I guess we couldn't believe what we'd been through, but it was it was just a quiet. You know. Yeah. Uh, so so quiet it was it was it was eerie. The ironic thing that I find about that that incident is that here you're you're on board this carrier, you're headed to Vietnam, which is a war zone, mm. and you only get to Hawaii and these these men are killed mm. basically in a peacetime action, sort if, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's they weren't even they weren't even seeing action yet and due to this accident. Did they ever determine what caused the fire? Yeah. Um a jet airplane, the pilot, when he gets in, it's not just a matter of, like your, like your car, turning on your ignition. I mean, I guess he has to do that too, but um, 
what happens when he gets to that plane, uh, he'll, he'll hand the plane captain his, his helmet. He'll, he'll, he'll get up. There's like these little things that pull out. So he'll walk up these steps, okay. get into the cockpit, sit down, put that head knocker back, get the, and the, and the, and the, and the, uh, the uh, plane captain follows him up there, hands him his, his uh, helmet, maybe helps him get, get strapped in, you know. And, um, and then uh, the plane captain will go back down and wait for instructions because the crew will tell him, okay, tell him to, you know, move forward, you know, head that way, you know, and then you give him over to the, to the flight, to the, to the, the crew that's gonna launch him, you know. Um, but there's this machine that this this, this vehicle vehicle that pulls up to the uh, to to each plane, and they have this hose about this big around, uh, and this machine's called a huffer, and it blows air. So they lock it in to the side of the jet, and they blow the air in, which gets the turbines. I believe the A7 had like 19 different sets of fans, fan blades, next to each other, um, and they blow the the air in there. And then the pilot's able to fire up the jet. Uh, uh, so um, this machine goes from plane to plane to plane, and it, I guess it had there was it was heat, hot, it was overheating or something. It was uh, it was parked underneath where the bombs were, underneath the wings of the plane, and the heat from that huffer set off the first bomb. And that started and the chain reaction. And Okay. Right. So the ship is repaired, and then you're off to Vietnam. How long did it take for the ship to be repaired? About two months. Uh, we two pulled months. into Pearl Harbor, and I think they told me I heard like 200 welders came on board. Uh, we had to we had to stand fire watch with them okay. all the time, yeah. and uh, two months. Uh, I got to see a lot of Hawaii during that time, but uh, um, it was. Uh, it's, you know, it's pretty unusual, pretty w weird for you know be repaired there and then and then move up, then move to Vietnam. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, tell me about life on an aircraft carrier. Sleeping quarters, food. What's a typical day? Sleeping quarters um, are tight. You know, um, there were um, bunks. They they had a a mattress on a on a, a wooden. Um, platform, you know, um, and the the bunk was like this deep, and underneath there was your locker. Mm -hmm. So you would lift up the wood with the mattress on it and hold it up with a stick. With they had this this thing that came up to hold it up, and then all your you little compartments down there for your socks or your shirts or whatever, you know, belts, everything. So uh, that was your locker underneath your. You know, and then you would, you know, lower it down. And it was, they were three high, and then you know, right next to each other. They probably would sleep. Um, oh, I don't know, maybe 60, 70 guys in a in a in a room. Uh, Pretty tight quarters. Tight, yeah. Um, the food was good on the Enterprise. Um, it was the flagship. We had the admiral on board, and. Uh, um, the food, I, no complaints about the food. It was better than it was at, at the base. And, and uh, every Sunday night, it was all the steak 
or and or lobster that you wanted. There was always ice cream. There was, wow. Yeah, it was the food was was really good on the ship. You know, the Navy gets the gravy, I guess. You know, the beer. <laughs> no beer. No beer. No beer. No girls. No beer. Once in a while, male. You know, which was uh, you, you. You could you could always tell uh, on the ship when the planes were landing. You heard the plane, but there was a special sound when the lane, when the when the, when the mail plane landed. It was a lot softer. You know, it was propeller operated. And probably and, look forward to that. Oh, the mail was the was the big thing. Yeah. And stay in touch with family. Yeah, family and friends. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that you didn't become a plane captain right away. That you were, if if I could use an analogy, you're climbing the ladder. How, once, long did, how long did it take, and what did you have to do? I think do? once we left Hawaii and, and we're heading for Vietnam, I became a plane captain, okay. and I think right around that time. Now, is a plane captain responsible for just one plane, or do you have several that you have to no, attend one. to? No, one. Just one. So, did you develop a relationship with the pilot? <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say with the plane. No, the pilots. <laughs> the pilots. Uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> it was going that way. Um, no, the pilots are always using different planes. You know, oh, okay. Not, one so pilot, not oh. the same pilot all the time. No. Got it. Okay. I didn't know that. I don't think, actually, I don't remember if, if I was always assigned to the same plane or not. They so you just bounce around. Yeah, yeah, I think it might have. But did you ever have an opportunity to talk to the pilots? Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 Okay. So as you're sailing toward Vietnam, what was happening on the flight deck in terms of training and was there preparation for the role and uh, once you once you were stationed off the coast of Vietnam uh, from Hawaii to Vietnam they were probably just flying they were having launches every day just staying routine practice. missions and yeah staying yeah. in tune with what they have to do right and they were always on, on, on the lookout for um, well there was always once we got in that area over by Vietnam there were always the uh, the Russian trawlers the fishing, supposedly fishing boats that would fo kind of follow us and keep an eye on That's us. Fine. Yeah, and then uh, we were always on lookout for um, uh, like a, a Russian bear would uh, fly, would be heading our way, you know. So we would quickly launch two F four F four Phantoms uh, to um, you know to meet the, the Russian, and because uh, there's like an unwritten rule that uh, you don't get flown over, so he would they would be escorted around the ship. Okay. Um, so uh, I suppose some of that went on on the way over. Um, it, it's often been said that activity on a flight deck of a carrier is controlled chaos. <laughs> that sound accurate to you? Yeah, it does tell, sound accurate. Tell too. me about. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, I think as I touched on before, uh, you know, a hundred airplanes, roughly, uh -huh. some in the hangar deck being worked on for repairs, uh, and they had these elevators. I think there were four elevators that would fit two planes at a time that would. When they're up here, they're part of the flight deck. When they're down here, they're, you know, they're, uh, so you can bring planes up and down. Um, a lot of guys, there's, you know, uh, uh, um, all the meals. They had two, two, two uh, they had a regular mess hall with, with good food, and they had like a mess hall that was open 24-7, would just say hot dogs, chips, stuff like that. If you just wanted something quick to eat. Um, and so they, they have to you know arrange the deck after every flight, you know, put these planes over here that came back, and we got these planes. We got to get them into position, you know. And then at the end of the day, a lot of times you're, you're waiting. Uh, a pilot. I remember one time a pilot was trying to land there at night. It was getting later and later. It was probably ten o'clock at night, and um, 
he could not get that tail hook to hit that wire. He tried four or five times, and finally they waved him out. They said, all right, I think they sent him to Guam or someplace and said, you know, come back in the morning in the daylight and land, you know. Uh, so you're, you're there late, and then you have to, like as a plane captain, I have to sit up in that cockpit and wait for them to come around to move my plane, you know. A lot of times one of those guys would pump up that hydraulic uh, for me, you know, and then we'd, we'd move, get it in position for the next morning. Um, I remember one morning, it got so late, I didn't even go to my to my rack. I just slept there in the cockpit till morning, you know, and watched the sunrise, which was pretty beautiful. Um, but you know, yeah, it's all the moving moving of the of the airplanes. Plus, on the flight deck, like the, the A seven Corsair has one single in, intake. I guess about this big, you know. That plane is revved up. You do not want to walk in front of that plane. It will suck you in and and spit you out. You know, you don't want to walk in back of it either. I got blown over one time. Luckily, I had a bag of chains on my back, the chains that you tie the plane down with. And the, the deck is a non-skid. I would compare it to like stucco, you know, it's very rough. Sure. So uh, I went tumbling down that deck after getting blown over by a plane. Uh, I saw a friend of mine, Eddie Lee Boswell, I think he's from Mississippi. He, uh, they have these other holes in the deck which bring up ordnance and that was down so just a big hole in the deck right now and he got blown over he was heading right for that hole but he uh he somehow avoided it i thought oh, he, and he's going down that hole but um so it's it, all these jets it's a big deck but still when you've got all those jets up there and you don't want to walk in front of them or behind them dangerous place to be yeah yeah so it, the, the flight crew or the deck crew uh, they, they had different color jerseys or shirts, correct? Yeah, mine was orange. Um, uh, I think uh, the guys that took their ordinance with the heavy, they, they had to get together and put their shoulder into a lean, you know, lift these bombs up underneath to lock them in underneath the, the wings of the plane. They, uh, they had red, green for the guys who, uh, uh, the, the deck crew that, that hooked them up to the catapult and so forth. And uh, they had, um, uh, yellow, I think, was electricians. Uh, there was, yeah, there was different uh, colors. So why, why, why do they have the different colors? What's the purpose of that? Just so you can identify what a role of a of a uh, that person is. I believe, on yeah, I believe so. Yeah, okay. sure. Yeah. So you you arrive off the coast of Vietnam. What were you thinking at that point? Here I am from Little Falls, New York. I'm on the aircraft carrier Enterprise. Off the coast of. Vietnam. What were you thinking? Um, it you know it it wasn't any different uh, really from I mean once you're on the ship, I mean I never saw the coast of Vietnam. You know we were off in I guess the Gulf of Tonkin, the Yellow Sea, and uh, um, so it was just it became a, a job. You know, um, I, I guess I didn't. I mean I knew that we were launching planes to. To go bomb targets, uh, you know. As I thought about it years later, you know, I've talked with some of the guys that were over there in Vietnam. I remember one guy telling me, he says, "Boy, those Navy jets helped us out one time. We were we were pinned down, you know." And uh, so I I, I I could only hope that maybe one of the planes I helped launch, you know, um, maybe they got somebody out of a tough spot over there or something, Probably you know. Um, but it was a it was. Um, you know, it was eat, work, and sleep. I mean, you, 
the plane captains had what they call a line shack. Everybody had their, like, you'd go in, it was just this little room. Um, I don't think it was like 10 by 10 or something, you know, where you, uh, and you had these chains that you always had your chains with you. You'd set them down and there was always coffee there. Um, guys uh, trying to catch a little sleep. You know, there was no place, you'd, you'd, you'd sleep on the floor or wherever you could and just wait for your plane to come back. So you'd go out there and tie it down again and, and inspect it again and all that. But, um, uh, you know, you'd go and get something to, to the mess hall, get something to eat. Um, maybe uh, the letter that you got last week, you, you read it over again for the 15th time, you know. Um, and um, the days were long. because uh, they, they would start um, at, at daybreak, you know, and every 90 minutes launch another 12 or 15 planes maybe. They were the, our, our planes were the, the bombers. They also had the A6 um, intruders uh, that, that were bombers and, uh, and the, uh, uh, the F-4 Phantoms. They were faster, they were the fighter planes and they didn't have bombs, they had the guns on them. So, so they would escort them more. So the, the mission of the Enterprise was to provide not only support for ground troops, but did they also do bombing missions in North Vietnam? I wasn't really privy to that information, but yeah, I Sounds would like say they sure they were bombing targets. Yeah, because just be before every flight, uh, you know, the, the, the they would uh, meet the pilots would would meet in the uh, uh, the ready room they called it, okay. you know, and and they would go get their assignment, you know, where they were going. So did, uh, did the pilots ever talk about? Were they allowed to talk to you as a plane captain? You're responsible for the safety and the airworthiness of their plane. Did they ever say anything to you when they got back about their mission that they just that they just flew? No, not that that I recall. No, no, no. no. I mean, you would talk with them occasionally about something, you know, but you mostly talk with other enlisted men. So there know? was a bit of and separation. Even, actually, when you're off, when you're on liberty or something, you're off the ship. Uh, pilot officers weren't really supposed to associate with enlisted men. You know, okay. yeah. so so uh, there is a line there. Yeah. But uh, you know, you would talk to them small talk or something. Were any ships, were any planes lost in combat that were from the Enterprise? I don't think any were. Sh not that I know. I don't think any were shot down or anything. I watched uh, the uh, the A six uh, intruder come in, which I think is a bomber. I don't think it's a fighter. I think it's a bomber. Uh, I, I watched uh, the, one of his engines wasn't working, and uh, so they're coming in sideways. And uh, they were t being told by the, uh, the, the air traffic people, veer off, veer off, you're going to hit the ship, veer off, you know. And so I was on the deck, I, I watched him come right alongside of our port side, and he was only, by that time, maybe 10, 15 feet off the, off the water. And then they both ejected. The plane went in the water, the pilot and co-pilot got caught up in the parachute lines, I guess. They didn't inject soon enough, and they went down with the. With they were the killed. Plane. Yeah, they, they were killed. Um, but as far as being shot down or anything, and I don't know of any that were from our ship that were that were shot Heroes down. Heroes, nonetheless. Oh, Heroes yeah. Heroes, nonetheless. Oh yeah, yeah. But, you know, I I wasn't all that in favor of the war, you know. Um, but you, you take these a lot of them, these pilots, John McCain, you know. They were in favor of the war, and they were doing something dangerous. They were proving that they were mm -hmm. doing it 
something dangerous or something they believed in. And, you know, I think they, you know, they are heroes. They, you know, you're doing what you believe in and it was dangerous. And you know you could get killed. That's that's a hero. Well, it's like mind, running into a burning building to save a child or something. In I mean, my mind, you were all heroes. You, you did no. your duty, and I know a lot of people appreciate that, despite how controversial the war turned out to be. It, it, yeah, it was. It, as it longer went on, the more controversial it got. So, how long were you off the coast? Four or five months. Probably. How long? Probably. Yeah, four to five months, I suppose. You know. So after that deployment, where did you where did you go? You, you obviously sailed back to the U.S. Where did you yeah. end up? Well, you know, during that time, we would get they would pull into ports. You know, you get a little little break. Okay. You know, because it's it's grueling. On the the longest we were ever at ship uh, ever at sea, uh, at one time I believe it was forty nine days. That that's a long stretch, without getting your feet on terra firma. You know. Um, so, so we would pull in. We pulled in several times to the Philippines. Um, we went to um, Singapore, and of course Hawaii on the way over and on the way back. And um, let's see, the Philippines, Singapore, and I went to Hong Kong. Um, but there weren't that many ports to pull into over because in of the size of the, the West ship. Pacific. Well, the size of the ship, yeah, yeah. We couldn't. Um, our ship couldn't pull into Hong Kong because it was nuclear powered. And I guess ever since Hiroshima or whatever, they, they, they had a thing about nuclear that they didn't, they didn't want our ship there. Um, they, I went to Hong Kong because they, 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 they said, anybody wants to go to, we're, we're gonna go to the Philippines again. If you'd like to take four days leave and go to Hong Kong, put your name in a hat and uh, we're gonna let a certain number of people take four days leave in, in Hong Kong. So I, my name got picked, and, and I was able to go to Hong Kong for four days. Um, and and uh, I showed you the picture earlier, I, the picture I took through the taxi cab when I was heading back. Um, but then again, you know, next time we report, or next time you know, we had a, a liberty call, we hit the Philippines again. So there's, there's only you know, certain uh, places that you pull into there. So, how much longer were you in the Navy? When, when were you discharged? Uh, October of 70. I got a hardship discharge because uh, I was like, I was the sole surviving son. My mother was alone. Uh, she was, she, she was trying to run. Uh, we had a, we owned a big building down in Furnace Street in Little Falls mm -hmm. and they, and, and, and it was a commercial building. Uh, she was trying to take care of everything. I know she's doing some painting. She fell off a ladder, cracked her head. Uh, I decided to put in for, see if I could get an early discharge to, to go home. I thought I'd be more help at home, right. you know, than, than where I was. And uh, it took some time, <clears throat> but uh, they said, yeah, you're right, you know, go home. Um, yeah, so over, over there, uh, off the coast of Vietnam, it was just, um, launching planes all the time, tying them down, um, and uh, getting a break once in a while. But Sounds like a really important role to me, and the, the fact that you were willing to leave early to go help your mom, I think, is admirable as well. Well, um, I haven't mentioned, we, we also, my buddy came, woke me up one day, I, was, I don't know why I was sleeping in the day, but he came to my bunk and said, hey, you know, we're going to Korea. 
And uh, really? He said, yeah, the North Koreans got shot down a plane. And uh, I went back to sleep. When I got up, walked out on the catwalk, it was colder and it got real cold. And I counted something like 22 ships, you know, another carrier or two and a bunch of destroyers all heading, no, heading north. Um, so um, I was involved in that campaign. It was like a side campaign besides the Vietnam campaign, you know, that, that we got drawn into there for a short time, maybe a week or two. And then uh, they, uh, everything calmed down and we went back to Vietnam. But uh, I, you know, I've talked with guys who, from the Korean War who said that, you know, Korea was like the coldest place they've, they've ever been. You know, it was just cold and damp and terrible. And it, it was, yeah, it was, uh, we, we got issued special uh, clothing, you know, because the weather really changed dramatically. Did your opinion of the war change at all after your service? You know, there was, there was I, uh, a lot going on in 69, 70. We had Kent State in 1970. There were a lot of campus demonstrations. There were social upheaval. Did, did that? It's, you know, it, 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 if, if, if you're the, the president or you're people in charge of decisions like that, I think we were involved in Vietnam because of the Southeast Asia Treaty Organization, I think. It's kind of like NATO, except over there. And I think we maybe had an obligation to keep uh, communism from spreading. Mm -hmm. over there um, but I, I you know it it, uh, it might have been a noble idea but um, it, not a, um, a practical idea really and I think we may have learned from that war mm -hmm. that no matter how how big your army is how much right. how many bombs you have um, you know yeah. uh, that uh, to go send American boys and women now over to across the other side of the world uh, into somebody else's country doesn't always work out that well, you know. Uh, people defend their countries and uh, like we would if somebody was exactly you know. Exactly. So yeah, I think I've changed a little bit towards that. Um, um, as far as I mean, I was at the time I, I just thought we you know we shouldn't be there. I never heard of Vietnam when I was you know what I mean no, nobody did nobody knew where Vietnam was you know and and all of a sudden they want you to go and, and uh, yeah. risk your life over there um, but um, Serious I don't business. know I don't you know who knows so after your discharge uh, even now I think you mentioned earlier that you're involved in a vet organization yeah any other ones besides the one you mentioned well, the Vietnam Veterans of America, and I joined the uh, uh, VFW, Herkimer, uh, okay. because a guy I knew from the VBA said, hey, why don't you join her? So I, I joined that. So too. there's some camaraderie there, sharing yeah. stories and that, that sort of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like, I'm not the typical VIA, because most people think of Vietnam veterans as being in Vietnam, you know, uh, um, um, fighting the enemy, you know, uh, in, you're in artillery or you're in... Infantry or whatever, you know, you're going through rice paddies, jungles. Um, you know, I was in the theater, and I'm considered a Vietnam veteran. You know, I was off giving support from the from the ocean, right? You know, right. Uh, so uh, uh, I don't have the shame. I, I listen. Like these guys are my heroes. These guys that I go, you know, uh, meet with uh, once a month. I mean, they, you know, they were they were there with the the heat, the bugs, the rats. Not to mention the enemy. You know. Uh, Good point. You know, I was I had it fairly I had it really fairly cushy, really. You know, compared to them. You know, I mean, I saw guys die and everything, and 
but um, but you still gave a couple of years of your life to your country, and to me that's extremely important. And well, on that note, uh, I, I want to thank you for doing this, Ed. I really appreciate you taking the time, and thank you for your service. Can I say one thing before Absolutely. we wrap up here? Um, when we um, came back, you know, we got relieved by another ship, and we so we headed back to the states, and uh, so we stopped in Hawaii for a little while, and then uh, I'm in uh, a few more days, you know, to get back to San Francisco. Uh, when we got to San Francisco, the, the Golden Gate Bridge had we had to pull under, and so. There's people up on the bridge watching us come in. And I mean, uh, there's this great big beautiful orange bridge and this huge aircraft carrier with 5,800 men on it pulling in underneath this bridge and then over to Alameda. Now when we were, when we had, when we got Liberty on the ship and we would get off in the Philippines or wherever we got off, there were always people on the dock. There were always a crowd on the dock. And they would refer to us as Joe. Hey, Joe, you want to buy a tattoo? Hey, Joe, you want to buy a knife? Hey, Joe, you want a taxi? Hey, Joe, you want a girl? Hey, girl, hey, hey Joe, you want this? Or, you know, anything. They wanted, they wanted to sell us something, right. you know, because they knew we had some money. And uh, uh, so, so uh, we called them the Hey Joes. And, and, and uh, so, um, we went. We endured that for, you know, however many months over there, going into different parts. When we pulled into San Francisco, went under that bridge, pulled into Alameda, the dock was loaded. Now it wasn't like when we left; it was packed with people, and there were people. We got take your time. With little kids. <laughs> There were uh, people with little kids. There were balloons. There were signs. You know, welcome back, Billy. Waiting, waiting for the guys. You know, no hey Joes, you know. <laughs> and, and, and it was, uh, to me, I can say uh, that moment was uh, the first time I really felt patriotic in my life. I looked down at those people and I, I thought, uh, they're us. You know, I remember that. Made it all work Sorry. out. Yeah, I know. It just, um, I never yeah. th I thought it would hit me like that, you know. Yeah. But um, it was uh, so different. It's good to be home, you know. A good moment, but a tough moment. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Okay, Ralph. Thank you very much. I you appreciate bet. it. Yeah. And thank you for watching, and hope you come back next time for another segment of Through My Eyes.